0: Hello and welcome to Shattered Lives, I'm Kieran Bradley. On today's episode we look at more of your questions in relation to the Gerry Hutch verdict and the Regency trial more widely. The trial had a seismic impact on the Irish legal system and we look at the likely ramifications going forward. We also look at the future of Jonathan Dowdle, what the case has done for the Special Criminal Court's reputation and much more. I just wanted to move on to something here. It was raised by Tonton Zola365, also a championship manager legend, so that's great. (laughs) Can the witnesses who corroborated Bonnie's whereabouts be charged uh, with perjury or is that something that just doesn't matter if the person is found guilty? And on a related matter here, um, a similar question. Uh, on Twitter, a number of people, including the state star witness, were basically judged to have lied, the court, lied to the court. I should say, during the trial, is perjury something that ever gets prosecuted in this country? Can you give one example of someone prosecuted for perjury? Uh, now, listen, we, we can go as far or as uh, uh, as little on this as we want, but I just wanted to raise that as an issue, uh, Mick.
1: Yeah, we can. I, I can give an example because there's one. Uh, there is one example of perjury that is quite fresh. It's a former hurler, an intercounty hurler was jailed for two weeks or was given a, a two-week jail sentence a couple of weeks ago for perjury. Not not connection with this, but he gave false witness or a false statement and he was pretty banjoed because there was evidence that he was lying. But I do, do want to say perjury, I mean, that, that probably was an outlier because there was evidence that shafted him or got him, really. But perjury is very hard to prove because you have to prove effectively what's in someone's mind and that they're, they're specifically lying. It's not beyond the realms of possibility that people can make mistakes on the witness stand. And I think judges are very charitable about that. People can, you know, look, I've been on the witness stand in libel trials, I've done two stints at the disclosures tribunal. Let me tell you, it's a very stressful time and you're, you're concentrating and everybody's looking at you and you're on the stand by yourself. It's extremely stressful. So mistakes can happen. So... You know there is a very bar, high bar for perjury, so you know the state can't or the judges can't say we 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 reject this evidence. But that doesn't, I know Paul's going to speak that. That doesn't mean that you know that people were lying. It means that they just don't find it credible. You know you know what I mean. So lie. It, it's sort of like the whole mens rea and you know you have to intent. You have to intentionally lie rather than making a boo boo or making a miss. You know, saying saying something wrong which can't happen.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, Jonathan Dowdall admitted on the stand that he lied before Mm. the special criminal court, and then it was put to him by Brendan Graham that he was a perjurer. Um, Will that result in him being charged? I don't know, but uh, I mean, he he out and out (laughs) was a proven perjurer. In relation to the two other witnesses in the case for Jason Bonney, both of them took the stand to... Uh, support his case that he was not the driver of the BMW um, that was part of picking up the hit team on the day, and specifically flat cap. And uh, those two witnesses, June McGlynn uh, said that she met with Jason Bonney uh, on the day and she saw him at a time Then, if he was driving the car, then it wasn't him driving the car. I'm trying to sum it up very quickly. And then there was another witness who stated that he saw Jason Bonney's father driving the car in the immediate aftermath Um of of the regency shooting so jason Bonney is the person who put forward this defense that it was his father driving the car um and i just want to read out this quote from Miss justice harbour and she said by way of comment this court was lied to in the most malevolent manner a dead father has been implicated in the regency by his son's witnesses that anybody thought that these lies would be accepted by this court is quite frankly amazing uh, however, to be clear, the court is not relying on the fact that the court was lied to in determining the case against Jason Bonney. I kind of took it to mean when she was speaking about the, the the court was lied to in this malevolent manner that really her ire was uh, was on the person who put forward the narrative in the first place, Jason Bonney. So uh, the, the lie was perpetrated by the accused man, Jason Bonney, is, is what I took from that. Um, again, I don't. I, I don't know in that case whether. I mean, he's now being convicted. I don't know if he will face uh, anything for for perjury in relation to that. But she obviously took that those lies very seriously because she went out of her way to say this court was lied to in the most malevolent manner. So it was something that she took very very seriously. But I'd say that's probably the end of the matter. I'd be surprised if it was taken another step.
1: And I, yes, and I agree with you, Paul. There, and I just, I'm just. Racking my head, trying to think of examples. I do think I have been in cases before where judges have said, "and I want this dealt with, or I want the guard investigation." You know, Miss Justice Tarburns could have said that there and then. She didn't really make any. You know, I want the DPP to look into this, or I I, 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 demand an investigation. She has the power to order that. So you know, I think it is what it is. And look, it's really, it's. I'm not saying it's inconsequential perjury. You know, generally perjury is not inconse- not inconsequential, but. It you know, it, it's not the main focus. So I think it it is it is what it is, basically.
0: Okay. can I, I, I just would like to ask one question myself, actually, before we get on to the rest. And there, I'm sorry, there are quite a few, so we'll get through them as quickly as we can. Um, what are the ramifications, really, for the reputation of the Special Criminal Court from this week? Because I, I will say anecdotally, and from what I've heard and read, I think a lot of people were um, sort of heartened, really, by the fact that a case that was you know, flawed uh, that was brought against Jerry Hutch was found to be so, or or certainly he was found to be not guilty. Is this, or what are the ramifications really for the Irish justice system in, you know, I I don't, we don't need to go into enormous depth, but I just wonder what your initial feelings are on that. I kind of spoke to this on the last pod, but I I basically felt
2: that this, this was a good thing for the special criminal court for the argument of uh, why it needs to exist it all went in Jerry Hutch's favour. The they, The judges forensically examined the evidence and they found him to be not guilty. So when people try to claim that it's a kangaroo court and a set-up and a stitch-up, well, that's been proven to be false in this case. They did judge uh, the facts on their merit and, and and they found that there was no case there. So I think it was a good day for the special criminal court and the arg- the argument as to, oh, you know, um, that it shouldn't exist, um, it doesn't hold water, I think, um, just i think that that's pretty much how i feel about it i think uh, had it gone the other way there would have been legitimate questions but when it comes to i don't want to criticize any particular body but when it comes to maybe how this case was prosecuted yeah there's maybe genuine questions and maybe there'll be an inquiry into how it was all handled i don't know or not but um that's a that that that's a that's a different question um in terms of the court i i, I think they've proven its legitimacy
1: and we, you know, and there's always the sort of the wider picture. We know that for years, decades, various groups, including Sinn Féin, and there's still an opposition to it. But Sinn Féin, you know, would have voted against. It's it's voted. There's a, a vote in the Dáil. It's it every year? They have to sort of revote in the legislation to allow it to continue for another year. It might be a year, it might be a couple of years. But there's a there's a, a a regular vote. And previously, you know, Sinn Féin would have voted against it. I think the last time they sort of abstained. And their attitude has softened and uh, changed a bit. So look, I, I I think this was a good day for the Special Criminal Court. And for the, the people's view of the Special Court and people's confidence in the Special Criminal Court. But lots of lawyers are still criticizing it. But I, I it's undoubtedly a good day and you know, taken with what I'm saying about the, the abstention and the you know, the vote and the doll about it, its reputation has probably risen as a result of
0: this. Okay. Now we come to, we've already mentioned him quite a lot, but uh, there's a few questions around Jonathan Dowdle. Now, uh, several of these have kind of been partially answered just around whether the DPP would use him again. So I, I don't think we need to kind of uh, retread old ground there. But one that came from several people, and it's one that occurred to me as well, is Is Dowdall's acceptance onto the witness protection program now under threat? Well, it
2: was reported uh, during the week that he had been accepted into the witness protection program. I think we have fairly firmly established that that's not the case, that he has not been accepted at this point. And I think if he were to be, uh, it may not happen until the end of his sentence, which he's appealing as well. Um, but just. There was, there were, I had a story during the week that there were preparations for the possibility, but I, I think we both Mick and myself have established that um, he, he hasn't been accepted. And the question of the performance on the stand, whether that had any kind of impact on that, well, apparently apparently, it doesn't. Um, he will be assessed otherwise. I still think that, he, that there are real threats to his life and that that has been established. But um, it's very possible that at the end of all of this, uh, he may not be accepted into the program, and I, I think that that would be an extraordinary possibility. But I, I, I it is something that 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 could have that could well happen.
1: Right, I, I, I'd agree with you. I don't think he has been accepted. Well, obviously, I've said he's going to be rejected. I think the the story about him being accepted into it was wrong. I think he's still been assessed to it. I think the the crimes he was involved. in... See, what you've got to realize is, you know, the guards. It's not. I'm going to pick a country, because it won't be that. Say Italy, right? It's obviously not going to be Italy. But Italy has to let him in. And Italy has to say, okay, we're going to let this geezer in. Convicted of a very, very bad crime. Waterboarding and torturing. Do they necessarily... It won't be Italy again. Would Italy necessarily want that sort of fella in their country? So I think it's very difficult for them. So I... And and the guards have to have that relationship with various police forces... And if he is untrustworthy, just say he gets up to hijinks in the country he goes to. So personally, I think it's going to be very, very difficult for him to get into it. What
2: was the rest of the question? Sorry, just one of, was there something we missed? The
0: other one was really just around um, whether he'd be used by the DPP again, but I think we've probably established that's not going to No, happen.
2: we know he won't. <laughs> that's why. Oh, not at Yeah,
0: much. to be honest, that'd be the, the most remarkable thing in, in Irish legal history if that did happen, I think. Um, okay. Okay. Another anonymous one around Dowdle here. It, it, uh, it seems to me that Jonathan Dowdle's decision to go state witness not only caused the obvious issues at the trial, but also drove the DPP slash prosecution strategy to say that he was a shooter. Without Jonathan Dowdle, they probably aren't as specific about him being a shooter and possibly a greater chance of conviction. What do you think?
2: I think we kind of did cover this a little bit. Um, I think that on I think their case probably would have been that that he was uh, that he was involved in the plotting of it, and they would have based it off the tapes. And as we have already discussed, uh, there the judges found that there was quite a lot in the tapes to actually suggest the opposite. So I, I think there probably would have been almost the exact same chances of him being found not guilty. Uh, Doubt all didn't help the case, but I think the case would have the case probably would have been if again if the charge is still murder. The case would have just been weaker again, I think overall. It,
1: yeah, Donald didn't only not help the case; he damaged the case for me. And I do think there's zero chance that the state would have said if if they had, didn't have Donald's evidence, there is zero chance that Sean Glan would have stood up and said our our case says that he was one of two men, not what wouldn't, wouldn't have happened. So that's really how important it is. You know, as it, look, let's remember, the decision had been made to charge Jerry Hutch with murder before Donald got, you know entered stage left but he had a massive impact on the tactics and the strategy and the the case put forward by the state there's no doubt
0: about that yeah okay and uh, this one I found quite interesting now, obviously, you know, we're not going to be naming names, of, uh, but I'm still puzzled as to who tipped the, uh, tipped the police the wink about Dowdle. Everything we know started with him. Do you think it's possible that he was mouthing or bragging to somebody else? I wonder. That comes from Anonymous on Twitter. I wonder if either of you had a thought on that.
1: I don't know. I, I, look, Paul, listen to him, given evidence, he does sound like a bit of a waffler. He does have a... What is it, what is it that he has a good welcome for himself? <laughs> But like yourself. But like, <laughs> like all of us really, but he's got it in spades, shall we say. So, you know, maybe he did. But obviously it is it is fair to say he was he did it, the investigation did coalesce around him. He became the subject of the NSU, monitoring him even before they put the bug in they were, you know, following and stuff. So did they get the guards get some intel? Was there a Chiz who said something? It's a murky world and we'll never probably know what happened.
2: Yeah, it's a good question because I think that they were monitoring his movements in in January, like prior prior to the Regency. So they were already looking at him, um, and they ultimately raided his house on suspicion that he was a member of the IRA. So he was in maybe initially being investigated in relation to that, and then when they established, because they were watching him, when they established that he was. Um, meeting up with Jerry Hutch that Jerry, perhaps they got a, I don't know, but I'm speculating here. Perhaps they got a bit of a surprise that oh, Jerry Hutch is showing up at his house and that's where the interest then increased, but they must've been looked, they were looking at him originally, but well, I don't know how, but maybe there was, as you say, somebody
1: saying something. <laughs> I've got a well-baked theory that I've just developed in the last 10 seconds. Remember all these, remember all these visits to Pierce Macaulay? Yes. I wonder, was that, Did he come to? Was he collated going in, or maybe there was something there? You know what I mean? Who knows? Maybe that's, you never know how, you know, it's acorns. trees are come from acorns, and that's, you get small bits of things. Who knows? Maybe that was one thing, maybe, because he said he visited him twice, and wasn't it 14 times? 14. Maybe they went, right, what's going on with this geezer here? So who knows? Maybe that was And he was was
2: interacting with Alan Ryan as well. Like, I mean, serious figures.
0: Hmm. All right. Well, uh, the next one is just on related note to Dowdle uh, it comes from Scott. Brendan Graham's cross-examination was top class. What was it like to be there? And did he get under Dowdle's skin? I can say for a certain, having been there for a while that he definitely did, but, um, Paul, you might start us off with this one.
2: Oh, he, he was absolutely exceptional. I mean, I think his name is well-renowned even prior to this trial. I mean, he is a, a consummate professional, um, absolute expert of what he does and i mean we knew even before jonathan Dowdall took the stand that it was going to be a blockbuster a couple of days that he was going to absolutely uh eviscerate him on the stand um and he, you know he's he, he's a bit of a dramatic orator like when he's speaking um i think he speaks quite slowly and quite dramatically and quite loudly and we 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 took in almost every word he says and i think he's very conscious of that um yeah he's just a consummate professional and i think he really did get un, un, under uh, Dowdall's skin. And quite early on, I mean, Dowdall was frustrated from five minutes in and was uh, was telling everybody in the courtroom um, how badly he really didn't want to be there and how long do I have to be here. And I mean, it probably <laughs> it didn't take much to bring him down. But Brennan Graham was calm and collected and just simply... Are you lying to this court, Mister Dowdall? How can we believe anything you're saying? And he just hit him where it hurt. Um, and I, I think, I think it didn't take long before Dowdall broke. To be honest with you, but God, it was just incredible to watch every day. It was blockbuster stuff, and you nearly didn't want it to end. Um, it, it, yeah, that, I'll leave it at that.
1: <laughs> I, there, there's a. Uh... There's a a number of barristers or senior counsel, I suppose, really, who I really, really like watching. And Brendan Graham is one of them. There's a fella called Patrick Gageby, who's a very well-known senior counsel. Uh, he mostly does defence. Dominic McGinn, brilliant. I've, can I tell you very, very, he's a senior counsel. I just want to tell you a very, very quick anecdote. And this is why I love court reporting, because you just, and I always say this, they see things that we'll never see. So Dominic McGinn was a he's not a senior counsel, fantastic barrister, but he was the, one of the, I think he was the junior counsel in the Joe Riley trial back in 2007. And that was the first real case where it was all about mobile phone uh, cell set analysis and everything. And there was this legal argument, the defence, was, it, I think it was Paddy Gageby, was it? There were, I think Paddy Gageby was the defence, but I, they were trying to get the, the phone evidence ruled out because there was no, it, 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 the argument was, oh, it's not, a, it, it, it was illegal, they shouldn't have done it and it wasn't licensed. The, the O2 wasn't licensed right and we were sitting there going oh Jesus and they're all about you know but O2 is, is it a licensed company it was all great uh, uh, argument and Donnie again just stood up right and he went well if it's not licensed then this act doesn't apply to it right so in other words there was no problem right and I was going holy shit that's just fantastic legal argument right and I, I love watching barristers Brendan Grehan is fantastic he actually did the anacresial trial but as a prosecutor Right, and I, he's one of the he's one of the judges, as I say, Dominic McGinn, uh, various ones, Sean Gearon, who who prosecuted uh, Dwyer. Uh, they just it's, it's I would actually urge any listener to go in and just pick a case and watch a senior counsel because they're brilliant. But I know grant was brilliant, and he's one of the most sort of stay prosecution defence. He sw- switches between the both of them, and for me, there's a great honour in that that he gives us all for the state and for the. For the def- the, the defence is brilliant, but just I would just urge people to go in, pick a pick a trial and sit down and just watch barristers because yeah. see at that level it's amazing to watch.
2: It's amazing. I mean, and he was incredible at catching Dowdall in his own lies. You know, simply just putting his own words back to him, he was able to get him to slip up again and again and again. He was just giving him everything he wanted because he was, I mean, to give the example, speaking about what day was it when you had this confession, when Jerry Hutch confessed to you in the park and he put the evidence of Sarah Sked to him and then Dowdall said something like, well, it wasn't the eighth, was it? And then Graham was like, well, which one was it? You know, are we now doing this to suit your narrative? You're changing your story again. And he just continually did that to him throughout the four days, I think it was, that he cross-examined him, caught him out in each and every one of his lies and even got him to admit at one stage that he lied to the special criminal court. I mean,
0: it did just, yeah, incredible stuff. Yeah, it was. And you can't help but think that if you're in Dowdall's position, you know, under an enormous amount of stress, you need to be so deliberate with what you're saying and really keeping yourself as cool as you can. But obviously, as we all know... Um, witnesses get flustered, as, as is completely natural. But yeah, uh, Graham and Aldo were having certainly a, a tete-a-tete. It was like a dance, you know? Like, it really is It's a remarkable thing seeing a, a barrister in full flow. Um Just to move on to Ian's question here. Uh, after spending one year in custody on remand to be found not guilty, is Hutch entitled to some sort of compensation against the state for the inconvenience of it all?
1: No. Um, no, basically. He...
0: We we might sorry just just on this point as well. But I don't mean to cut across you, Mick. Um, we might talk about the illegal aid issue here as well. I think that that was something that uh, came to all of our DMs.
1: Yes, because I, I somebody dm me because I mentioned in a previous uh, pod about you, you get legal aid for murder. So I was I, and I, was, and it, I just realised I was looking back because Paul and I were both in court in September twenty twenty one when Jerry Hutch was. brought back from spain now the way it happens is we've we've covered enough murder trials between us you brought to the district usually a district court uh, except when you're going to the special when you go straight to the special but in a murder case the first place you go to is the district court and they send you forward to the the central criminal court now i've been in hundreds of court cases first appearances like that and you always hear the same thing it's always there's the preliminary there's refused bail or there you go you can't get bail for murder at the district court but you know you hear evidence of arrest charge and you know all that sort of stuff and it's always at the end the bar- the solicitor would stand up and say judge you make an application for legal aid and it didn't happen in this case jerry hutch did not apply for legal aid so he effectively uh, appointed his own legal team now so that's that's very expensive because barristers don't come cheap and did jerry hutch have two senior counsellors, or was it just one just one just one, but he, but he had two. They probably had two juniors or BLS.
0: Yeah, two juniors, though, right? definitely, At least. Two Let juniors. me tell
1: you, this is not cheap, and it was a fifty-one-day trial, wasn't it?
0: Fifty-two, yeah, yeah,
1: fifty-two, and we're so we're talking a lot of spondulics. hundreds of thousands of euro, effectively for the whole legal case. But what? But I was speaking to the I mean, Simon uh, Barrister again, who keeps me right, and basically they said, yeah, he didn't apply for, he wasn't, they weren't involved in the case, but. You know they know things. Uh, they said no. Yeah, Jerry Hutch did not apply for legal aid, but what he can do now, and I think this has already been said at the end of the trial, Paul, that he can apply for his costs retrospectively because he won. If he had didn't won, if he didn't win, he was in bother. But he was bothered for a lot of reasons, but financially as well. But now that he has been declared innocent and declared not guilty, he can go to the court, and I think he has done this to apply for his costs to come back. But it's one of the few, and I actually asked lots of experienced full-time court reporters, Paul and I would do a lot of courts, but we're not full-time court reporters. Have they ever come across a case where firstly, a murder accused didn't apply for legal aid and secondly, didn't get it? And none of them, stretching back dec- decades, none of them could remember any. So I think this is a unique aspect here.
2: Yeah. Um, did that person ask
1: about his detention
2: as well? That Would he take a case for being detained all that time? Is that what the...
0: Yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. The, the, there was a question around his uh, him being in custody for a year and then being found not guilty.
2: Yeah. As far as I'm aware, I don't think he ever applied for bail. So he didn't even challenge his detention. So I would be surprised if he then turned around and said, uh, you have me in prison all that time um, because I don't. I actually don't even think he applied for bail.
1: He did go to the Supreme Court because he wanted the case to be heard in front of a jury. Yes. But that was that's obviously not a bail application. You that's a very good point, Paul. Did he apply for I don't think he did.
2: He never he never went to the High Court so he to apply he for yeah, so bail. I mean,
1: but even if he did
2: can't read his her yeah but if you he had, and it give
1: had out about ref- it, but, refused yeah, yeah. I, no, I, I i don't i don't think there's any chance of that there's not a chance at all
0: okay uh just to come on to one look i think we were all sort of familiar with the fact that this was almost a bit of a melodrama this case and uh, you know at times it's easy to lose sight of the fact that this is uh, well not easy to lose sight of but this is an extremely serious thing that happened at the regency a man lost his life leanne here has mentioned a question that i've, I've been pondering myself do you think people particularly young people will romanticize jerry hutch because of what he has done in the past and she also mentions here how he conducted himself in his prime time interview in 2008 um i'm interested as to your feelings on this because you know not to uh, labor the point too much there's certainly a lot of lionizing that's happened of jerry hutch over the last few months um some for good reason, some for, uh, some for not so good reason. I wonder what your feelings are on how romanticized Jerry Hutch is now. I think he is massively so. Um, and, and, and even while he was on trial,
2: I mean, people would be sending you memes of him and clips from the, the infamous 2008 video. And I mean, people often have a laugh with uh, some of the things that he says, uh, in that interview with Paul Reynolds, you know, if it barks, it's a dog. Or, um, you know, um, why do people believe these things about me? Well, because they read it in the papers and beginning uh, to believe it. I believing, to, believing, beginning to believe that I did it myself.
0: <laughs> and that's, but I didn't.
2: Uh, <laughs> did he notice that? He said very quickly afterwards, uh, but "I didn't." Yeah, uh, but but ha- uh, hands up, I didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, he says. Um, I mean, it's classic stuff. It makes us all laugh. But uh, I think people then use that uh, to, in a way, to romanticise him and say, well, you know, it's isn't it great this ordinary, decent criminal sort of narrative and this Robin Hood figure and uh, people kind of saw saw him as a figure of uh, he's he's the he's the guy that's sticking it to the man, you know, and he's getting away with it uh, in relation to you know when he was accused of the Brinks and Marino Marsh robberies. He did settle with the Criminal Assets Bureau. There were legitimate questions over where did all of your millions came from? He claimed it all came from property. And a lot of people do, for some bizarre reason, look up to him, Um, and probably even more so now. um, Look, he was found not guilty of murder, but I do think it's a bit bizarre that people would uh, in some way romanticise this figure and look up to him um, in some way.
1: Well, that's because they don't know the the reality and they, they have a... A, a picture of him and probably the, the nickname the monk has helped copper fasten that picture of him you know no drugs and drinks and all that sort of stuff look you know courts did hear he was involved in two very very serious robberies when they got millions of quid um, he had dozens of criminal convictions before that for robbery and larceny and you know, or, you know pretty heavy enough crimes so and he had a long career but you know what I, when I think of him, right, I think of lots of things. But I think of a fifteen-year-old boy being sent in adult prison, and I still find that shocking. I, I really, really find it shocking. Imagine a fifteen-year-old kid. I, my young fellas, my well, my my daughters, seventeen, going eighteen. But my young my young fellas, fourteen, nearly fifteen. And it, it's shocking. It is really, really shocking that that would happen in Ireland. I know it was in the uh, early 80s. Uh, yeah, it was early 80s. Still, it's, no, late late 70s. That's grim. That is, that's in Ireland, a,
0: terrible. I, I was struck, sorry, I just re-watched the primetime interview the other night and I was so struck by that. Like, I mean, really, that is, you know, there are points in everyone's life that are sort of forks in the road, I suppose, and, and that, that could have been so traumatic. And actually, just on a, a separate point that we mentioned in podcasts before, um, Hutch himself was was very um, not enamoured with this whole team Hutch dynamic and stuff that was coming up I, I think he was quite aware of the severity of what had happened and the personal cost and obviously this came I believe those conversations were quite soon after his brother Eddie was murdered um, it, I, I just think that this is something we need to temper a little bit here and do remember that you know, this is a very, very serious situation that people have got themselves in. This has cost people many of their lives. Uh, but anyway, all right, we'll move on a little bit uh, to Jason Bonnie and Paul Murphy. There's a few questions here. Um, anonymous one on Twitter saying, am I right in thinking that Bonnie and Murphy were not the only getaway drivers you are? Um, there was one for each of the assault team. I presume, you know, the the inference here is that, that, that other people are involved. And I guess, do we feel that other people will now face charges in any sense? Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, there was a convoy of six vehicles uh, that that picked up each one of the six hitmen. Jason Bonney has been found guilty of picking up Kevin Murray flat cap. Um, we actually don't know who Paul Murphy picked up. And then there were other drivers who may well, uh, who may well be looked into. Uh, in relation to the judgment, we learned... Um, That investigators were looking at a vehicle uh, in connection with Jonathan Hutch, who is a nephew of Jerry Hutch. He's not been charged with any offense, but there was uh, the guards were looking at a car in relation to him, um, which they suspected might have been a car involved in the convoy. So he's one individual that they were looking at. It's a good time to bring up this dirty dozen. Can I bring them up? (laughs) Right. So Jerry Hutch was allegedly one then Patsy, then Jonathan Hutch. You've got Jonathan Dowdall, Patrick Dowdall, James Mago Gately, Eddie Hutch, Paul Murphy, Jason Bonney, uh, Kevin Murray then, and Patrick Hutch Jr. That's 11 people. Can't figure out who the 12th is, but that's 11 people who have each been accused of involvement in the Regency. Um, But in terms of drivers then,
1: well I know who the I know sir I know who the Kenyans think was involved well well ago. well
2: well, in the evidence presented in court, Patsy was alleged to have said that he that, that that he drove the van, the silver transit van um Jonathan Hutch was investigated for being one of the cars involved, and then so was Eddie Hutch, Paul Murphy, and Jason Bonnie. How many is that yeah so those those are the names that have been raised, but yeah yeah it's an interesting question now as to uh, whether any of those individuals might be investigated further.
1: Do, do you not think that the, the strongest possibilities are for the facilitating, the drivers? Because look, I remember yeah. watching in the Patrick Coates trial, I, I know it, it, it's one of the things that stays with me. There were six cars, five turned away away from Dublin and one turned towards Dublin or was the the way around? One car went one way and the other five went the other way. But but um, do you remember watch the, I don't know I'm sure the cTV was played to you of the the cars leaving in in the convoy and stuff so I always remember thinking right you know you can, unless those and we all heard the whole thing about cloning so I've always thought that was the best and guards would always say this you, you go in from the for an investigation from the outside in and get what you can on the periphery so for me it's 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 all about the, the, the getaway cars effectively that's their best bet
2: yeah, and now that they have now that they have actually yeah, successfully prosecuted two people in relation to that, uh, perhaps they'll go after the rest on the basis of the footage.
0: Okay, um, there's one here, and we can go as far as we want, uh, depending on the sensitivity of this. But do you think the alleged collusion between Garda Superintendent John Murphy and some individuals within the Hutch Group will have any bearing on any possible future charges against members of the Hutch family?
1: So what's happened is. The guards have finished the investigative. We know that John Murphy and Jerry Hutch were both arrested. Jerry Hutch was arrested in September 2022, late September 2022, before the trial started. John Murphy was arrested in February, and it's all about that sort of nexus. Um, I think, and so what's happened is, the investigation has been completed, the investigative phase, and they're now working on the file. And look, you know, these files are very complex. So I can understand whether you know they haven't finished their investigations and sent it. They have to put the case together and paint a picture for the DPP to persuade the DPP to, ch- to proffer charges. So that for me, it'll be months and months before a that happens and the DPP makes a decision. But a file will be sent to the DPP. I-, I think this verdict has changed everything in relation to Jerry Hutch. I find it very unlikely that he will be charged with anything in relation to that John Murphy Jerry Hutch investigation. I just think. It's it's changed things for me, and it's it's for me. It's it's very very unlikely. So that for me is the biggest charge or the biggest change as a result of this this verdict. I think it it'll be very. You know, I just think DPP and all they're only human. I think the bar has been raised significantly now because of this verdict, and I'll tell you why. Imagine if they 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 tried and do it for this murder fail. I think you know once bitten twice shy. Will they go again and? Just say they're not overly happy. Look, I might be wrong. There might be some. There might be, you know, the people will come to their own decision. But I, and people I've been speaking to, think that the, the bar has been raised significantly in relation to that charge.
2: I I think that's that's. uh I'm just commenting on what, what Mick has said. Uh, I'm I'm surprised that you've gone that far as to think that they that they they may not prosecute him at all in relation to the John Murphy thing. Yes, you're thinking that now.
1: I I I I, predict, I, I think it's much less likely now mm. than it was last Friday.
2: Right. Wow.
1: No, come here. It might, what, what, what I'm saying, you know, I'm not going to talk about John Murphy. They'll, they'll deal with him. But listen, I can only give you the guidance that I'm given. This has changed things. There's still, a, it's, I'm saying, it's less, much less likely now than it was the previous last Friday for a charge. That's all I say. It might happen, but you know, we look at things in odds and go, well, this is likely. I think it's less likely now than it was before.
0: Okay. Um- we have another one here from Seamus La. Uh Do we know if the Kennans still have a price on Jerry Hutch's head? Now, I'm just, I'm just wary, just with the tone of some of these questions as well. That it's important again to, you know, reiterate the severity of this situation for real life individuals. So I don't want this to kind of dramatize and become a sort of Wild West thing. But obviously, one of the uh, corollaries of this trial is that it has the potential to reignite the Hutchkin and to some degree. So I do, maybe we, we can just talk in more general terms about what's likely to, to come next.
2: Corollaries, that's, I don't even know what that word means. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like He's little so well, uh, offshoots, I, I'm, offshoots. I'm learning well.
1: how to speak English from
0: you, Kieran. Oh, well.
1: I told him there was very, uh, I used the word cogent the other day and he had difficulty with that one as well. So every day is a school day for him here. tell you what. Corollaries. <laughs> Um, god I don't even know what
2: the question was That just totally <laughs> well you in terms of the the, the price the price on the on, on Jerry Hutch's head well you you know a bit about that but yeah there definitely is a price on his head
1: I'm more than satisfied that the Kinnan cartel want Jerry Hutch dead I do believe they've offered money because we know from previous cases they have offered money for example the people in the north inner city not to kill the Hutches but to offer information small bits of information they're talking you know 10 grand for bits and bobs of, of information so the Kinehans in my opinion want Jerry Hutch dead the Kinehans the guards would say there's a very serious threat on the life of Jerry Hutch and there must be on the life of Patsy Hutch because we know there's a permanent post uh, a community reassurance post the guards would call it on Patsy Hutch's house they don't the guards don't do that for the you know as a hobby uh, you know they're doing it because they have intelligence so the Canaan cartel even though they're degraded and Daniel Canaan could be arrested tomorrow and put on a, in a yellow orange jumpsuit and sent over to New York to face charges there won't really affect the, the, the main cartel because it's a cartel and they're worth it up to a billion euro and they have money to do whatever they want so the Canaan the threat to Jerry Hutch is extremely severe and it will be I, I believe for quite some time
0: Okay. Yeah, well, if Daniel Kinnon is sent to New York, at least we've got someone here to, to cover it. Um, there's a, a couple of very last ones here. Uh, there's one from Jim Bob that I think we'll probably cover at another point, but Jim Bob was asking about, can you do a bit of a who's who for the Hutch family? Because it's very confusing for us non-Hutch experts. But uh, Mick, you want to jump in? Oh, he's got a-
1: um, i don't say, I'm not going to say what it is. This is a bit of intelligence. Well, it's my own intelligence, but we've, we've built up a picture. So um, Jerry Hutch had seven... He was from a family of eight children, um, three or four are deceased I believe, but essentially Patsy Hutch is the father, Patsy Hutch, Patrick Hutch, who's one of Jerry's older brothers. He is the father of Gary Hutch, who was the key Kinahan associate who was murdered by the Kinahan cartel in September 2015 in Spain. He's also the father of Derek Delboy Hutch, who's a convicted killer who served time in an Irish deal for manslaughter. And after the murder of Gary Hutch, he got out of prison for the funeral. But then shortly afterwards, he was attacked by members of the Kinnan cartel in Montjoy, or associates, people paid by the Kinnan cartel, basically, in Montjoy prison. That was September, maybe early October 2015. We broke that story, I seem to recall. And then in December, he was attacked again and somebody saved his life. So there were two efforts on his life in Mountjoy Prison, he was then moved to Wheatfield after that. So that's Derek Delboy. He is also the father of Patrick Hutch Jr., who, as we know, was charged with the murder of David Byrne. It was alleged that he was the man dressed as a woman. Now there was an audio prosecution entered after that after the the death of lead investigator, Detective Superintendent Colin Fox. So that is Gary, Derek Delboy, and Patrick. They're patsies children then Eddie Hutch who was Jerry and Patrick's brother he was murdered on the 8th of February at his house in North Inner City Dublin and he would be the father of Ross Hutch and a couple and several others but notably Ross Hutch who a few weeks ago was jailed for 10 years for really really two really really bad assaults he slashed a man and it was a, a vicious attack um that was but that was a, a personal thing. Then uh, Derek Hutch, who was Jerry's brother, who uh, who he took his own life. He was a, a very serious criminal himself, convicted rapist. He uh, in two thousand and seven, I think it was, he went into Store Street Guard Station, confessed to a murder, told Gardy he had been involved in a murder and secretly buried somebody, and then he went and then he took his own life. But he would be the, the father of Derek Coakley Hutch. Who was one of the victims of the feud. He was shot dead in January 2018 outside Wheatfield Prison. So he was known as Derek Hutch, Derek Coakley Hutch. And then John, who is another brother of uh, Eddie and Jerry and Patrick. John uh, was, he died a couple of years ago. There was a permanent post on his house, uh, but he he tragically died. He fell, I think he suffered something and he, and he fell down the stairs and died. But his son, was Gareth Hutch, who was murdered by the Kinan cartel in May 2017. He is also the father of Jonathan Hutch, who Paul was talking about earlier in relation to... He, he was named in, in the trial. And Jonathan Hutch, the other sort of newsworthy aspect of Jonathan, who hasn't been charged with anything, but Jonathan Hutch was the target of the Kinan cartel in August 2017, in Spain when they tried to kill him and they uh, murdered an innocent man called Trevor O'Neill. So it's quite arcane, but it's a very, very tight-knit family. There there, there were, uh, Jerry had four brothers and three sisters. And I'm just looking, John's dead, Derek's dead and Eddie's dead. So he's lost three brothers. And I think he has a, one, one sister as well. But that's that's basically it. So there, there, there were eight siblings in the Hutch family and it all spread out from there.
2: They're a, f- a fascinating family, aren't they? Yeah. Very sad. Yeah.
0: Uh, a lot of, lot of tragedy
1: there.
0: Yeah, a lot of tragedy. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's the, you know, they don't ever underplay that. Um, okay, we have uh, one final question here from the appallingly named Blue Mooning. There are far too many City fans listening to this podcast, Mick. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're absolutely delighted. <laughs> what <laughs> um But Blue Meaning asks, uh, can you ask the guys, does the abuse that they get on social media personally bother them in any way or is it washed off the duck's back? Now, look, I mean, really, uh, the reason I wanted to a- ask this is because it's been a very hot topic. It's obviously raised a lot of debate, a lot of anger in some uh, uh, spheres of, of Irish life. And I just wanted to to see what your thoughts are on it.
1: So I got grief last week. We ran a picture, people will know about this, we ran a picture of Jerry Hutch for the verdict with a beard. And people went nuts about it. Um, and you do you do get grief. Now, my attitude is, I advise other journalists, see when you're getting grief on Twitter, just say nothing. See when it's happening to you, it's slightly different. You do get sort of, uh, it does start to annoy you. But what I have found, it comes in its go and it goes. Twitter is like a, People have the attention span of a goldfish bowl. They'll hook you for a couple of hours or a couple of days, and then they'll move on to somebody else. So I always say, just let it let it sort of settle down, and you know things move on. Paul got it earlier this week. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I just want I just want to give you some one sort of example of why it's a bit mad. Social media is a bit mad. Before Paul did the hutch trial, I did the. Dwyer trial in 2015 and I was doing the same and you know I was doing all the tweets and all this stuff and it was the first real time that a a case had been live tweeted okay and people were going oh Mick you know it's fantastic and I was was looking at the justified comments Paul was getting and I remember I was laughing because I was getting them then but at the end right you sort of I realised people on Twitter sadly or social media they want to see the news that they agree with or that Matches their morals, so I was going, Michael, your tweets have been fantastic. You're setting you template for covering court reports. So at the end, when Dwyer was convicted, I went into journalist mode and I sent out a tweet going, Now is the time for anybody who has any information about Graham Dwyer to message me in confidence, right? And yeah, I got absolutely hockey from a height, and people were going, Absolute scumbag, why are you doing this? So that went against their moral code. But I'm sorry, it's what journalists do. So it was a big lesson for me. You know, one day you're you're a hero and the next day you're a villain. So you have to sort of try and treat both with the same level. Yeah, it's grand. If it's good, it's grand. If it's bad, ah, well, it it, it moves on.
0: You're a bit like Batman. You know, you've uh, you've lived long enough to, to see yourself turn from hero to villain. Yeah.
1: No, I, I, no, I sort of when people no, but I do find that you know I get a lot of praise for some stories I do. Like say I've done lots of stories about guard of corruption, right, and it's hilarious. I've done more stories about Garda corruption this year than any other journalist, but I still get accused of being a, a Garda mouthpiece, ignoring Garda corruption. I, I did one the, yesterday about a, about a Garda arrest at the airport. I did one about a Garda uh, under suspicion for spending 300 quid attacking another Garda's house. I did one, uh, loads of ones I've done in the last year. And people will still go, Mick, you, you ignore Garda corruption. I'm Mr Garda corruption reporting this year. So people only see what they want to see. So when people hockey you or when people praise you, you sort of try and treat them both the same way because people can be quite irrational in that sense that they'll go, you're brilliant, and then a minute later, you're a scum. Yeah.
2: Um, I agree with everything Mika said. Um, I think uh, it got a little rough, shall we say, when uh, we published the first pictures of Jerry Hutch out and about and... I still stand by the publication of those pictures and the right of my colleague to uh, to take those pictures. Um, Jerry Hutch uh, hasn't shied away. He has been out and about in public. He knows he's a public figure. I don't think he really cares too much about being photographed. He he, he might care about um, people around him being photographed or uh, the property that he's residing in being identified. Those are legitimate concerns and that's not something we sought to do um but when people turned around um it only a handful of people in fairness but it, it does get to you a little bit when people turn around and accuse you of quote-unquote trying to get somebody murdered uh, i have never done that i will never try to get anybody murdered um and to accuse me of that is just disgusting like and it says more about you as a person that you would accuse uh, me of 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 trying to get somebody killed um but that does not reflect the majority. You have to remind yourself that that the when most people that comment generally they're, they're commenting to say something negative. Uh, so like the only thing I'll say is I was heartened by like when we did this Q and A uh, and then in the immediate aftermath of doing the trial, the amount of well wishes that, that we both received, um, vastly, vastly outweighed all of the negative comments, um, like, whatever people can have their opinion you can disagree with everything I do uh, and what I do for a living that's fine you're entitled to that you can say whatever you want um it's water off a ducks back ninety percent of the time but don't accuse me of trying to get somebody murdered um never ever would that uh, i I should really go without saying but i and I, I nearly feel bad for even addressing this but it's just fucking ridiculous that anyone would suggest that um, and I you know but that, that, that it's not reflective of the majority
1: no and it is it's a it, I, I got that as well because the, the first picture we had obviously he walked out of the prison or, or the, of the court with the full hair and the beard but people hadn't seen that until we ran that picture and it was I, I thought it was it, it, it's as if suddenly the kin and Cartel are going to go oh that's what he looks like People, you know, and then when 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 we got the pictures, and by the way, every journalist in Dublin was chasing that. We all got plenty of messages from journalists going, oh, geez, that's a great story. We're the first ones to get him." And he had his fe- he had his hair shaved and his or his head shaved, or his face shaved and his haircut, right? And then now it was, you're gonna try and, you're trying to get him killed because you know you've you've really, you've, you've shown pictures of him shaved and shorn. I, said, I think the Kenyan cartel know what he looks like. They're a big lad, you know what I mean? So there's there's no logic to it. But anyway, what, what I will say is, look, I've never known of any journalist being dissuaded from writing a story because they were worried that Johnny X 4312719 on Twitter thinks you're a bollocks. And it is usually men. I'm sorry, lads. It is usually men who act the muppet.
0: Well, I tell you what, Johnny X417329 is one of my favorite people on Twitter. So you don't, you don't come after me, pal. But no, I think I and, and I, I, this was part what we had kind of hoped would come from the podcast recently about the uh, career in crime journalism, is that I think it's important to remember that it's not as if Mick and Paul, et cetera, are going out. Writing, uh, you know, uh, finding a photo and then just immediately publishing it. Like, there are so many processes that I have to go through. Uh, not least at, at the at being a gatekeeper yourself, uh, as knowing what you can and can't report, what you should and shouldn't report, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I just think it's important to reiterate that. Yeah, I mean, it, th- there's a lot that goes into this before it gets onto the front page or it gets onto the website as well. But there we go. Um, but listen, lads. Yeah, but you can you just. I just want to reiterate that point. Sorry, you can disagree with us till
2: the cows come home. You can you can think that we're scumbags and that our that our job is 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 not worth doing that's fine you're entitled to that uh, that, to that opinion but if you're going to take it that extra step and accuses of trying to have people killed like i mean
1: and i did laugh some people were saying leave him alone what he is doing leave him alone but they were happily tweeting about him themselves so i was like sorry you can tweet and beat the band but professional journalists can't do anything about him i don't think you thought that would done out there big lad anyway (laughs) leave it there there you go
0: well there we are you know as they say Listen, first of all, thank you very much for your time. Uh, the listeners will probably be getting this in two or possibly three parts, given the absolute marathon that this has been. But um, thank you very much for your time once again and for your reporting this week. Um, we do want to say once again that obviously we're really blown away by the uptake for what we're doing here. We really love doing these pods for you guys and if you do get the opportunity to tell anyone else any friends family that you might want to uh, listen as well who might get something out of it we'd be enormously grateful but in the meantime i'd like to say thank you to paul thank you to mick thank you thank you and we will speak to you soon take care if you like what you've heard today please subscribe to shattered lives wherever you get your podcasts